Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome. Welcome to the Comet ML Office Hours, powered by the Artists of Data Science. I'm super excited to have all you guys here. It is Sunday, June 27th. Man, it's been a, a good week. Hope you guys had an amazing week as well. We should be live streaming on a number of different platforms. So if you see this on a live stream, for example, on YouTube or LinkedIn or Twitch, don't worry, we'll take your questions there as well. Um, I'll also add a link so you can jump right into the Zoom room and join us. They'll be in the comments um, wherever you watch this streaming. Uh, but yeah, man, super excited to have all you guys here. Shout out to Adi Dev, Bharat, and Poonam. How you guys doing, man? Um, you guys got, if you guys have any questions, go ahead and let me know right there in the chat and we can uh, go ahead and, and answer those questions. But um, while we're getting warmed up for that, I thought something interesting would do to do would be to to look at some. Um, I posted something earlier on on LinkedIn uh, earlier this week, and it was about the three biggest myths that they noticed data science aspirants cling to while they're breaking into data science. And I had a, a huge response from a lot of uh, awesome folks. And I know I'm going to be breaking LinkedIn's rule. They say when you're on LinkedIn live streaming to not talk about LinkedIn, but I'm going to talk about, you know, I'm not really talking about LinkedIn. I'm just going to share my screen and pull up um, one of these uh, uh, comments and stuff that I had here. One of these of the posts, man, 93 comments, such amazing, um, amazing responses on this. And, you know, there's some great, great takeaways. And uh, Shristi here did a great recap of everything that she's picked up from all these other comments. And uh, really thank you. Thank her for that. Um, but here's some big tips that that she kind of pulled out from all of these comments. And uh, I really, really agree with all these. So understanding the problem should be the foremost step right? Model interpretation is important. Excel is way more useful than we may consider it to be, which it is. Um, and the importance of data engineering, but so many great, great comments here. And I'm wondering, you know, what are some, some myths that you've clung to while you guys are breaking into data science? If you guys want to share with me, go ahead and let me know uh, wherever you are watching this, whether it's here or on one of the uh, streams, I'd be happy to, to chat about that. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to take some questions. Adidev, Parath, Poonam, how you guys doing? Go ahead and let me know if you guys have any questions. I see there's a bunch of awesome people watching on LinkedIn Live. Hey guys, I'm going to go ahead and put a link to the Zoom room right there. You guys are by all means, free to join in. Um, I'll go ahead and put that here. And go ahead and come into the room. Some questions uh, coming in on LinkedIn already. Can we talk about model deployment? If you have very specific questions regarding model deployment, I could talk about that. Uh, but if you want to talk about the entire pipeline of model deployment, that's a huge, huge, um, huge topic. So the more specific your question, the better I may be able to help you. Shout out to everybody on LinkedIn, Alberto, joining us from Buenos Aires. Uh, this is awesome, man, seeing all these uh, wonderful people there. The link is right there in the uh, chat. So by all means, join in. Be happy to have all you guys here. Um, but yeah, for, I think I've been stalling enough in the chat here. So if anybody has questions, go ahead and let me know. I'll give shout out first to, uh, to Adidev or Parat or Punam. 
no question is off topic, though I cannot guarantee that uh, I'll have a sufficient answer for you. I'll try my best. Uh, somebody's saying the link is in text format. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to do about that. I just copy and paste the link and hopefully you can click it. Um, but, but yeah, um, uh, no, nobody has questions. Everybody's just silent in the room. The guys sitting there watching on LinkedIn, come on in. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have you guys here. Uh, so I has a question or a comment here. Uh, I don't believe in silver bullets, but if there was one thing that you saw progressed your data science career, what would you say it be? That's a really good question. I like that. And I would say the one thing that has helped me the most personally was just adopting a growth mindset. So growth mindset being that work that Dr. Carol Dweck from Stanford did. I remember, I mean, I wish I would have been introduced to this concept much earlier in life. I didn't come across this idea or notion or concept until I was in my mid thirties, probably 33 or no, probably 35 by this point, 34, 35 at this point, when I heard about uh, the growth mindset. And, you know, it, it it's such a powerful tool, right? It's just a powerful belief system, powerful way of thinking that, you know, there are hard things out there that you have to learn to do as a data scientist. But if you know that you can learn them, if you put in the effort, if you put in the work, that that knowledge can be attainable, then it just becomes so much easier, right? Like that sense of imposter syndrome for me kind of dissipated after that, right? Where it's like, oh, okay, well, obviously I'm learning things that are difficult. They're not easy. They're not meant to be easy, but I know that if I put in the work and I put in the effort that I can understand it and use it and implement it. And I think that would be the one thing that progressed my career, progressed my entire mindset, just progressed me as a person. Um, Excellent question, though. What, Austin? What do you think, man? What's been something that you've, uh, you know, progressed in, in your careers, or something that 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 has really helped you move uh, up up levels? Yeah. yeah. Um, the thing for me, you know, in my role, I'm. Um, I mean, some of you know this, but for my role, I'm not a data scientist. I'm the head of community at Comet, so I'm focused more on content and, and sort of that um, community marketing and, and communication. And I think uh, just learning. Um, learning another group of people's language um, and really listening and, and using that language when I'm speaking to them. So that can be like internal stakeholders at a company or like people in the community that I'm working with, but being flexible and um, how I, how I learn sort of like how other people and how other groups speak and think, and then trying to be empathetic towards that. So I think it's sort of, uh, it's, uh, it's that openness to um, people seeing things differently than I do. Um, and just for my career in a more creative space and a little bit more of uh, that that sort of space, it's, just, it's super helpful for me to just just take that in. And, and it helps me now, you know, on that comment, sort of like uh, what we're doing with community is quite new over at Comet. And so I think that's helped me like sort of build this bridge um, between the rest of the company, whether it's the sales team or, or, you know, the product team or whatever, and build that bridge between what we're trying to do with community. And this is, is learning how to speak all these different languages. So um you know, I think that's been part of my growth mindset is to like step into other people's shoes and use that. Um, from my past, I used to be a mental health counselor for a brief time. And, 
um, learning learning those empathy skills has been super super important for me. Um, and it's my job is very very people centered. So I think that's been that's been the thing that I've learned the most. Yeah, absolutely love that man. Um, Bharat, I see you got a question here in the chat. If you want to just unmute yourself, maybe even turn on a camera if you'd like, and and and. Uh, ask that question go for it otherwise i could just read it out but you know having some participation is a lot more a lot more fun um but yeah to uh to just you know while Bharat is uh, getting ready here to ask this question uh, they've hopefully found that useful um so the book i'd recommend there's a couple of great books that can really help you with adopting this growth mindset and learning how to learn i guess those two kind of things go go hand in hand like the things that really helped me progress in my career was adopting that growth mindset and adopting the belief that on a long enough time horizon, I can learn anything. Um, and that time horizon isn't really that long. It's just effort intensive and I can learn anything I need to learn. It doesn't, doesn't matter if it's brand new to me or not. And just learning how to learn. So a couple of great resources I can give to you. One of them is absolutely free. Dr. Barbara Oakley, she did the uh, most uh, popular online course in history on Coursera called Learning How to Learn. Uh, she's also got a book, A Mind for Numbers, and later in July, you'll see her on my podcast. I was able to uh, bring her on and record an episode with her. So definitely check that resource out. And, uh, you know, the book Mindset by, by Carol Dweck is also a good one, as well as Limitless by Jim Quick. Those are all great books. So Bharat, um, it does not look like Bharat wants to unmute himself for his question. So I'll just ask it right here. Uh, what are the typical challenges that you or your organization faced in model deployment? Once you did validate a model on some curated test data and had it up and running, any specific example? Um, so for me, challenges were, I mean, I'm the first data scientist this organization ever hired. And it's kind of a, a legacy company, right? It's a manufacturing organization. Nobody knew anything about machine learning or data science in the organization. And it was just me and one scrappy uh, software engineer who had interest in machine learning trying to put this thing together. So the challenges for us mostly were just technical architecture and infrastructure type of challenges, like getting the model, obviously finding good data, getting the right data model, developing features, all those typical challenges existed for the model development process, but the deployment was just figuring out, okay, how are we going to, like, how are we gonna serve this thing? Is it just a regular API? Okay, great. If we have just a regular API, then, you know, the model is anticipating the row vectors to come into a certain way. And those row vectors have to go through some transformation. Great, how are we gonna do all that, right? Because we used, raw data to, to you know create a data model do some feature engineering build the model and now the model anticipates whatever row vectors is going to predict on to be in a particular type of format particular column so on and so forth so um, how do we handle that with new requests coming in because they come in they've got to be transformed they got to get served to the model the model has to spit back a prediction and then integrating that into the product uh, there's numerous numerous challenges um, so hopefully that gives you an idea. Poonam, I see you have a question here as well. Uh, Poonam, go for it. If you wouldn't mind just uh, unmuting yourself and, and making this more of an interactive conversation. I'd love that. 
Sure. Uh, thanks for this opportunity. Uh, my question was, um, you know, a lot of times um, the content in uh, data science gets too technical for uh, the non-technical people who are just trying to absorb the subject. So uh, my question was, um, you know, are there any tips, any ideas, uh, you know, which would help us uh, make um, the absorption better and our application in the real world? Uh, practice. You just have to practice as much as possible because um, just kind of reading and watching like videos and stuff like that that's very passive type of way to study so as much as you can try to do hands-on stuff as much as possible right really try to go more for practical type of examples right try to find connections to what you're learning in the real world right try to read case studies of how people have used this particular thing you know for example, you're studying, let's just say, I don't know, statistics, right? Okay, great. How was statistics used to do a particular thing in a particular company in an industry? And just read as much case studies and then try to recreate those on your own, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm missing the question here or not, but um, it's just practice. Like you have, like the, the way you absorb the technical content is just through practice and repetition and a lot of it and finding connections to things in the real world as much as possible because otherwise it's literally just a greek on a page right uh, i'd love to yeah i'd love to help hear from uh, elka on this as well um, um a couple of things i love to hear from uh, uh from elka on um also shout out to matthew blaza so elka um to to answer Boonham's question here um, i'd love to uh, so when I want to pick your brain on two things. One of them was Poonam's question. One of them was Bharat's question, which I could restate for you uh, um, in a minute here. But Poonam wants to know how we, you know, any tips for people from a non-technical background and now doing the formal course in data science, how do they absorb all the technical content? Do you have any tips? Okay, so, um, yeah, I, I guess, is, is this the question that you were answering with your uh, practice because that would be <laughs> the yeah. first thing I say too. Um, yeah. So yeah, practicing and not being afraid to to do um, your own kind of challenges, not just um, follow the example from any course or book that you've uh, found, but actually like uh, looking for data sets that you think are interesting or that you have come into contact with earlier on, or even your or your own data. Maybe you're like uh, somebody who likes working out and you track it then you have this data and start working with this and um like because you will always come into challenges that are different from the ones in the courses because in the courses everything is prepared for you and uh, you have these nice looking data sets and if there's something that is not prepared and they they guide you and take you by the hand through all of this and if uh, in the in the real world this will not be the case so I guess that, that's what I would say. And then don't be afraid to use Google and Stack Overflow and reach out to people if you have questions and just, yeah, don't give up easily. It, it takes a while to, to get through all the technical stuff, but it's worth it. So just practice. <laughs> Austin, go for it. Yeah, I also think one thing that can be helpful um, when you're learning like new concepts generally um, is to sort of create your own like glossary or index of those things and sort of, you know, do, like take the time to like hand write out or type out the definition and, and then connect to those real world examples that you're working through in those projects and that practice is you're actually like able to 
instead of just passively reading those concepts on the page, like have a, have a glossary that you have of technical concepts that you want to go deeper into. Um, and then try to, as you go through your examples and practice, try to connect those things back because it can so almost like, um, it can, it can take those technical things that you're struggling with and put them in a place that you have a resource now that you can kind of go back to. Um, it can look different. It doesn't have to be necessarily a glossary, but a way to sort of like, um, take those out of the context of like, oh, it's just so much, you know, in this one thing and sort of like own that a little bit and then go through it bit by bit and sort of connect it to your real world practice. I think that can be super helpful and something I've done with like non-technical things that's been helpful for me in the past. Yeah, I like that. The, the almost like setting up, like, like you mentioned, like flashcards of some sort. So spaced repetition is a good technique that I've heard people use so that that could help you kind of um, just get re-exposure to, to material. There's um there's a lot of great software out there. I think, uh, God, one of them is escaping me. Um, I'm sure it'll come to me. Uh, but but it's uh, just type in spaced repetition software and and, and that's phenomenally helpful. Um, Boonam, was that were any of these responses helpful or is this kind of already something you you knew or are you looking for something different here? No, definitely this helps. Uh, I mean, uh, of course, we are aware about a lot of it, but I think uh, they say, uh, you know, seeing is believing. So you do it yourself and have hands on and that makes it uh, the best experience. And I will uh, definitely uh, try and uh, incorporate this in my day to day practice. So I want to really thank all of you. Awesome. Thank you very much for, for joining us. Uh, feel free to hang around and let us know if you have any other questions. Uh, back to Elki, there's a question here from... Uh, from Bharat, he's asking about typical challenges that you or your organizations faced in model deployment. And I was giving him an example of just being the first data scientist in a company that had never done any type of uh, deployment of you know machine learning models into production. Uh, for us, some of the biggest challenges were just the the just the architecture and the infrastructure and how do we serve it? How do we accept requests um, and and things like that? Or do we do it? Real time? Or are we going to batch it? Like how how are we going to do the inference? Uh, what are some challenges that you faced? Okay, uh, so uh, maybe first as context in the company that I work for, we don't really deploy the models, but rather we deploy a model building engine. So we uh, make an engine that can build models on, in our case, time series data. And then um, because this data is so, um, yeah, it tends to change really fast because it, it's literally happening over time. You need to retrain the models very quickly. So what we do is we deploy that engine and instead of making a request to your model you make the request to the engine which builds a model on the spot and then applies it to your data uh, but other than that it, it i think the challenge is uh, quite similar so we try to um look at what the customers would be using or the, the people who use the, the models would be using in software already uh, typically this is like bi tools like click and alteryx and well, Alteryx is more of an automation tool then, but um, like what else is there? Like uh, Power BI and Tableau, these kinds of software. And we try to integrate with them as much as possible. And also we do this through a REST API that we offer. And then that REST API is also exposed. So that means that um, if, if some customers use their own in-house application, they can easily integrate with that. Um, so I, I think it's looking at the specific industry that you are trying to work in or the specific type of data and then see what do they use already and how can I integrate with these things so that I don't have to um, be yet another tool for them to use, but I'm, I fit easily into the process that they already apply in their day-to-day. 
I like that a lot. I was actually uh, joining Vin Vichista's uh, session and he was talking about as a data scientist, we should not become just technical commodities. We should be integrated as part of the business strategy and become strategic partners for the business. And you're really echoing exactly what he what he was saying. Yeah. Um, shout out to to uh, our friends Comet ML for getting us set up on this. I know you guys have a lot of questions on model deployment, what to do with once the model has been deployed to production. Let me just go ahead and share my screen. I'm gonna show you guys something real quick. And also there's like 30 of you guys watching on LinkedIn, but there's only eight people in the room. You guys, you guys are more than welcome to come in the room. There is a link right there in the chat for you, but Comet ML has some really awesome stuff. Um, one of the hardest parts about uh, getting started with machine learning is like, what the heck is a hyperparameter do? How do I test hyperparameters and notice what impact they have on my model, so on and so forth? Uh, this experiment tracking tool is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I definitely recommend checking it out. If you go to resources and you just look at like their, their blog, um, it's super easy to set up. It's free. They're doing what uh, GitHub did for code, but for, you know, machine learning teams. Uh, they also do a uh, model production monitoring. So this helps you monitor your models once they have been in production. There's a really cool tutorial they did recently, and it was a, uh, exploratory data analysis with SweetViz and Comet. Um, uh, I'm sure, Austin, if you can find a link to that, just definitely go ahead and, and, and hook us up with that. And I'll share that across all the uh, different uh, platforms we have here. Uh, but yeah, definitely an awesome tool. You guys check Comet out, highly recommend it. Um, in fact, I use it at work myself. Um, also, a couple questions here coming in from LinkedIn. Uh, Friends, if you guys got any uh, questions here in the room, please let me know. I'll go ahead and add you to the queue. Uh, and for the 30 some people on LinkedIn, you guys got to join in. Um, all right, so the couple questions, one's coming from uh, Ajay, is statics plays a major role in real life data science projects? I'm assuming by statics, he means statistics. And yes, uh, it does. Like it's the foundation of pretty much everything. Like data science and machine learning is essentially just linear algebra and statistics applied to business problems. Um, so yes, it does play a huge role. A uh, question here from Alberto, your thoughts on the importance to having feature stores. I think feature stores are an awesome concept. I haven't had much of an opportunity to play around with them myself just because I just haven't found a use case for them in, in, in my particular industry. Uh, or rather my role. Um, they are something I really, really want to look more into. I know there's a cool um, cool product out there called Feast, I think, for feature stores, uh, pioneered by Gojek, which is one, one of like my favorite companies. Um, but yeah, I don't really have too much of a, you know, opinion on on the importance of feature stores. I just don't know enough about them. Elka, is, is this something you've worked with at all? Sadly, no. <laughs> it's yeah. one of those things that's on my radar for a while, but I haven't had the chance to to dive into it and learn about it. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, if uh, if anybody wants to uh, come in the room and talk to us about feature stores, by all means, you're more than welcome to. I just don't know enough about them to, to really have an opinion on them. Um, all right, looking through for questions here. No questions on YouTube. No questions on Twitch, LinkedIn. You guys are are alive. I see you guys there. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Javed wants to know the impact of data science and blockchain technology or blockchain and data science. Can these two technologies together come into play in the future? Uh, I think they can. Give me one second. I'll show you uh, what I'm interested in right now, what I've been reading. Uh, so a book that I've been uh, 
getting into is blockchain data analytics for dummies because I am one. Um, but definitely recommend checking this out if you want to see the intersection of blockchain with data science. My good friend Carlos Mercado, uh, you should follow him if you have not already. Carlos Mercado um, is is huge in into the blockchain technology. He's doing a lot of uh, interesting projects as well. So definitely check his work out. Um, I, I mean, there's definitely potential for intersection there. Absolutely. And the sooner you can get on that, the better off you're going to be, right? Because here you are combining skills right now that are both valuable and unique that not a lot of people are putting together. And if you can come together at that intersection and master it, you're going to set yourself up for some amazing success. So I would say if you if you personally have an interest in both blockchain and data science, study both of them and then find the intersection and then do something about that intersection, um, which is, you know, maybe you read a book like this, maybe you follow Carlos Mercado, maybe check out uh, some of the LinkedIn courses from Jonathan Reichentel. Uh, he's got some amazing content there as well. Um, so hopefully that was helpful to you, Javed. Uh, Shout out to Tor. Haven't seen Tor in a very long time. Tor, cheers. Looks like you're having a good time uh, at a nice looking bar of some sort. Right on, man. It's been a wild story. I've been working for like, what, five weeks now? Crazy days. Wow. 16, 18 hour days. So now I'm back on the free time again. And you moved out to, um, did you, you moved to like Northern Europe, right? No, I'm actually living in the south now in southern France. Nice. Oh. That's okay. roughing it out in 27 degrees and the cold beer, you know, at my local bar. <laughs> such a such a difficult life, my friend. It's such a difficult oh, it's life. rough. But somebody <laughs> has to do it. <laughs> somebody has to, man. Somebody has to. Right on, man. Uh, shout out to Matthew Blaza in the house. Good friend of mine, Matthew Blaza. Um, yeah, right on, man. Um, we're still taking more questions. Thank you guys so much for being so active on LinkedIn here. Like I said, um, you guys got to come in and, and, and join us, man. Uh, if anybody else in the chat has questions, please let me know. Uh, shout out to Sue, man. Good to see you again, my friend. It's been a while. Uh, Some not. We got uh, well, Bruno Master question already. But hey, if you got more questions, bring them on. And uh, yes, so Robert Robinson in the chat uh mentioned the software that i was thinking about uh so Bloom, this is called um it's called anki a-n-k-i and this is the software for spaced repetition so definitely check that out suma my friend how you doing it's been a while you doing good doing good hi yeah it's been a while yeah man how you been what's uh what have you been up to yeah so uh I was going to ask, uh, I, I recently finished my data science boot camp, and that's why I was so busy uh, past month and I finally finished it, uh, capstone and everything. So I was wondering, like, what next? Like, what do you guys, well, I'm looking for a job or uh, opportunity. And in the meantime, I take a bunch of mathematics and uh, classes and all that stuff. But in the meantime, like, uh, what do you suggest, like, uh, after, after, it is having a, a, a data science uh, certification, sort of. Uh, what would you suggest uh, how to proceed or what should I look for? Uh, projects, man, <laughs> straight up. That's like the number one thing you got to do is uh, put what you have learned in these amazing boot camps and things like that and apply them in real world projects. Like that's, you've got to do that. 
Um, so have you been doing any of that? I've been, I've been doing, I, I actually, uh, I, I did, I did apply some of the, some of the, uh, material to my previous, uh, work related stuff. And I did post some blog about that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to apply and I have, uh, uh, several projects on, uh, on the pipeline that I am trying to like take it to the next level. Okay. Uh, one of them is a time series. I just asked a question to LP about that. Um, and then, and then some of the deep learning stuff, but yeah. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to add more projects to the portfolio. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, more than doing like the the fancy cutting edge algorithms, I'd focus just on having a really, really well structured project, right? Making sure that the repository structure is nice, clean, professional. Using something like Cookie Cutter Data Science as the template for the repository structure that just gives a level of polish to it, right? It it communicates something to potential teammates and potential hiring managers like, oh, this guy gets how to structure his thoughts and gets how to organize code, right? Uh, so that's that's huge. And just using, I mean, just something as simple as making sure your your code has comments, making sure you're using doc strings, just anything that you can do to give yourself that professional edge by projecting in aura of professionalism. I think that is much more important than any particular algorithm or any particular data set is just communicating that you have what it takes to be a data science professional. And you do that through some of the quote unquote little things, but they're huge things, right? We talked about repository structure. We talked about commenting, documenting code. Um, Let's talk about using helper functions, right? Let's talk about having a clear entry point into your project. Like this is where you start. This is where you go next. This is where you go after that. This is where you go after that. Well documenting your thought process. Like, okay, I was doing this thing and I saw this. Therefore, I think this, right? So I know it's kind of generic, but just out like, you know, it's one thing just to have a graph out there with an unlabeled x-axis, unlabeled y-axis, unlabeled graph itself, and then have the reader try to interpret what is going on. Like that's not a good, a good look, right? Make it easy for whoever is reviewing your project to understand the importance of everything that you're doing. And you do that by just almost like a brain dump, right? Just clearly stating what it is that you see, why it's important and how it's impacting your decisions going forward in your project. Is that helpful? I don't, I don't know if you're, if you're asking the question about how to do a project, I just went off on a tangent, started doing it anyway. No, no, that that's helpful. Actually, uh, that now reminds me to go back to my GitHub and <laughs> try to see if it, <laughs> yeah, man. anything I can do. <laughs> yeah, or, you'd be yeah. surprised, right? Just these these touches, right? Like that. This is what it takes, right? You need to look like a professional with your projects, right? It doesn't. It like it literally doesn't matter which algorithm you use. Doesn't matter which data set you use. What matters is the execution of that project and how professional you can make it look, right? Because you want somebody that's either a hiring manager or a potential teammate to come to your project and be like, oh, damn, dude, this guy, this guy works. Like, I want to work with this guy, right? Like, look how well done he did this thing. Like, oh, my God, working with him would be a dream. I'm not going to have to have nightmares about cryptic code that he's writing because he documents everything so well, right? It, it, it makes the project stand out. Um, Elk, any tips or or uh, 
for 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 making the standout project and shout out to everybody on linkedin for some somehow i managed to block myself from commenting on my own linkedin post i don't know how i did that um because i think i accidentally hit mute on myself um but i can i guess i can unmute myself uh there you go guys come join us come come join us uh, but yeah elka any any tips on projects um yeah do do things that interest you and and um I think also when you get better at it and do more complex projects, then still you, you have to um, be aware of the value of the earlier and maybe in your mind simple projects that you did because that's that's a mistake that I made in the beginning, like um, thinking of a project that I did two years earlier that was like very simple and it's not at all technical in terms of the techniques that I used. So why would I talk about this one? But sometimes that's what people are interested in if you're trying to get a job because sometimes simple is enough. Uh, so even if it's something that you know you can do better, still you can talk about it, you can... Um, even just say so like, oh, this was a fairly simple project and I learned about it. And even now I know that I would approach it differently, but back then I did that. And so just because you're further along, don't let go of what you did earlier, I think. And that's something I can add. Yeah, I like that. And simple, like if you can come up with a simple solution to a tough problem by reducing how complex your solution is, that just makes you look so much, so much more intelligent as well. Uh, Austin, go for it. Yeah, I think um, something you were saying, Harpreet, about this made me think of a more general sort of point about um, that detail-oriented focus around your projects. Um, in a more general sense, I think there's a common thing, a thread that I see in a lot of either, whether it's content creators, um, people who write technical content or, or do these projects, is that um, there's this sort of 80-20 thing where um, you do the project, you get the maybe the, the first version of the blog post out, you've got all your, your code or you're this kind of uh, all over the place. And that's the 80% of the work. And it feels like, okay, I did it. The, the model, I trained the model, ran it, ran it through all the, the sort of steps that I'm supposed to. And now it's like, ooh, I'm done. Um, and I think what really separates people um, in, in, in most fields really is there's that 20% extra of taking like, okay, now I'm done, but like, what else can I do to optimize this? Uh, what else can I do to better communicate this? How can I trace the lineage of what I'm learning and communicate that, right? All of those pieces are that that 20% that like <laughs> you're on a, say you're on like a, you know, I just drove cross country in the United States not too long ago. And it's that sort of like, okay, you're on a 10 hour car ride. You know, the first eight hours, you're like, I'm motoring right along. And then those last two hours are just like so terrible and feel so long, but you got to learn how to do them. You got to train your muscles. on like, so for me, for instance, it's like, okay, we wrote the content, we wrote the blog post. like, now what's the best way to distribute that? And how do we push that out, you know, that extra 20%, as opposed to just finishing the thing and then being like throwing your hands up and saying, I'm done with it. And I think like, across different fields, across different ways of executing, like that extra 20% of wrapping that in the packaging of like, you know, whether it's the process or the code in the documentation, like that extra 20% is what's going to put you over the, over the top of people and that sort of detail oriented mindset is going to be because any, you know, there's probably hundreds of thousands of people who can run these models and train these models and like get them to work on a validation set or, or whatever. But I think that's that extra 20%. That's the hard, it's sometimes the hardest part and the most grueling part and the most like, oh God, I really got to share this and document this and clean this code up, but you got to do it. I think that's like, I've learned that more than anything. That's what separated me in my career in my field is that I'm willing to go in the muck and like do that extra 20%. And so it, you know, um, you, you might, you know, it might look just simple and easy to people on the outside, but it's like, it's super important that that gets done. 
yeah absolutely man couldn't agree with that more um so suman i'm, I'm hoping uh, hoping you got some good takeaways there my friend and i mean looking forward to checking out some of your projects man don't be afraid to uh to share your screen pull it up and then show us what you got be happy to look at it um shout out to everybody on linkedin still joining us uh ajay verma is asking what is ensemble learning um I mean, you could also put that into Google, but it's essentially just stringing together the results of multiple models to come to a prediction value, right? So if you got a number of classification algorithms that you're using and you want to, you know, essentially you could, you could do this, like let's say you have a classification problem and you want to do some ensemble learning. Well, then you can fit different models, right? Maybe logistic regression, random forest, SVM, and then take the majority vote of those classifiers to serve your final prediction, right? Um, you can think of the analog for that in regression as well, where you average out the values to serve the uh, predicted value. Um, I don't know if that's a trick question or not. Um, okay, uh, what are your thoughts on ensemble learning? Uh, shout out to, to Dave Mangoman. Good to see you here again. Um, yeah, I think you said it exactly. It's just multiple models, maybe different techniques, putting them together or the results that come out of them by some sort of gathering and then um, using the results that come from all of them, maybe as a way of reducing the risk of one model typically making the same sort of mistake and another model might not make that type of mistake. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I had this example at work where we have, we're working on a regression problem and um, I, I essentially took the results of three different models, averaged them together, and that's what I'm serving as my prediction, right? And, you know, there's multiple reasons for that. I think LK highlighted some, some really good ones, um, but, you know, where, where one model might be uh, overcompensating on value, another might be undercompensating, and, you know, it just... Whether you use it or not, it's just going to depend on your use case and depend on if it's going to help you get a better prediction or not. But I mean, at, at a high level, that's what ensemble learning is. Um, looking for any other questions in the chat here. Don't see any other questions. Um, Dave, how you doing, man? Doing great. How's your week been? The week is just focus on finishing the project. It's like, as it's my first uh, project on NLP and it's quite challenging. Yeah, what's the, uh, talk to us about that. Like what's the, uh, what's the problem statement you're attacking? Like it's on uh, co-reference resolution, like uh, given a text or this uh, input text, like a book or just part of a book and then the end result will be like determining uh, is it gender bias or not? Like as a percentage of the male or the female like that. That's really interesting. Okay. I like that. That's that's a very interesting problem statement. Is this for a personal project or a project at work? Uh, like it's at work. Nice. That's yeah. cool, man. Sounds like a fun <laughs> thing to do. I like that. It's very challenging. Like uh, we're now in the like in the final stage or the last stage, like visualization and uh, deployment like, like that. Because we're just done with the pipeline, although the pipeline is not that 
uh, really strong, but uh, we just like uh, have a quick and dirty like run through with the pop the pipeline, then maybe we'll just try to just until the end result, and then maybe just tweak the performance later. Yeah, right on, man. That's cool. Shout out to Matthew Blaza. I saw you there, then you disappeared. How you doing, man? Good, good to see you. I know, I know, uh, I know you joined in on some happy hours and some some office hours and stuff like that. But I never get a chance to actually talk to you except when it's like <laughs> when it's through comments and stuff. How, how you been? Yeah, really good. Just been cranking a lot lately. It's um, been a big learning curve for the current job that I'm in. So yeah, we've uh, we're using a lot of like Azure and cloud stuff. So it's a lot of trying to rationalize out data models for a legacy system and then migrate data. So they keep me busy even on the weekends. Dude, I've got the same challenge going on at my current company. Um, I, I mean, like, what are you looking into in terms of tooling on, on Azure to, to, to work on some of the stuff you're doing? Well, most of us were just beginners at this point, most of us, whether it's like the data en- the engineering, data engineering team, or like the data science team that I'm with, we're all used to, you know, SQL server, building out the triggers and all that sort of stuff. So it's been kind of a learning curve, just trying to like learn the Spark SQL and all this stuff. Um, mostly right now is just trying to get in data models, like migrating our data models from a server side to the cloud and getting used to trying to update the data governance like that in purview and whatnot and keep the lineage, get the data lineage going. So we're, we're not quite yet at the point where we can like um, 100% where we can operationalize ML models or do ML ops, but we're getting there. We're getting there. It's, yeah. it's a process. Yeah. It sounds like identical to the situation I'm dealing with at work. Cause I, I came through and we, you know, developed a machine learning model, put into production and it's doing great. Uh, other parts of the organization want it, but then we're like, Oh, we have no good data architecture yeah. or infrastructure or governance or quality yeah. measures in place. Uh, so we're also looking into yeah. Azure purview for, uh, for governance and, and lineage and things like that. Um, what are some of the challenges that you've been, I mean, you, you talked about a few here, but in terms of, and, and you, you said you mentioned you're working at like, you know, legacy systems moving to, to cloud environment. Like, what are some of the cultural challenges you faced with, with people in your company? Well, most of the cultural challenges is of course, when you're always moving from legacy systems to like a new like system, um, people like are invested in the old order. So they're just like, okay, it's it's not that they're stubborn or anything like that. It's just, hey, this is how we've done this for the last five years. I'm used to it. This new stuff is scary. But it, it, the the most of it is trying to, I spend most of my day and the data science team spends most of our day trying to explain what we're trying to do, trying to get the business requirements for them. And not just trying to do that, but also explain to them the value of this. So, I mean, some of the stakeholders do have times where they're asking us, hey, you know, we want you to answer this question. So we go back to the system and we find out, you know, there isn't really tables or a database or an ingestion where the logic hasn't built up for that. So most of the time I'm using, what most of the time is, is just trying to be able to translate this out from technical requirements to requirements that the business can understand and question us on and keep us accountable. I like that, man. Um... I'm definitely gonna have to uh, connect with you offline at some point, so we can uh, yeah. so we can chat more in depth. Uh, because man, these things are challenging, especially from someone who's just got like a traditional data science background, moving into a position where you're doing data strategy, data management. Like it's a whole different world, man. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not easy if you're not like familiar with it. Um, 
because as data scientists, like we're end users of data, right? Like to work on the stuff upstream, it's, yeah, it's different. Mm-hmm. Was that a bit of a challenge for you? Like personally, like, you know, cause I know you, you also have a background in you know, mostly traditional data science type of stuff. Um, trying to adopt the the mindset of working on data governance that's not as sweet and sexy as machine learning is um no no it was kind of a challenge because i do a lot of consulting on the side before it's just like they the consultants usually are not big 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 businesses they're still like so you tell them hey i want to cluster this and i want to segment customers from our body okay sure what do you need to do it here it's more like do we have the time and resources because the jira tickets are accumulating to and to like a very high level and do we have the time and is it worth the money to do it? So the main challenge was, is just trying to even make sure that we even got the definitions down because a lot of the data quality was so, so all over the place and it wasn't hundred percent clear. So mostly it's been just trying to make sure that we find definitions for uh, analytics terms that the business can agree on, and then also be able to translate that business logic into code terms. And trying to meet the requirements of the engineers who always want to make sure everything is right. I get it. I have a programming background. And then the business who says, why am I not getting my analytics on Tableau? So it's a challenge just trying to, you know, balance the two. Yeah. Very, very challenging. I can attest to that. Uh, Thanks. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, Mm -hmm. Rodney is asking, would majority votes fail under circumstances, uh, certain circumstances? Yeah, I guess they would fail when you have an even number of models that you're taking the majority of because, you know, you probably would need an odd number just to ensure that there's a majority. Uh, But Rodney, you're more than welcome to join in. I know you have the link to the, uh, I know you have the link to the actual Zoom room, my friend. So please join us. Uh, He said he was going to join us after coffee. So hopefully your coffee is done, my friend. Matthew, also, like, you're one of the, uh, I consider you one of my brothers in philosophy because you're always uh, commenting on my philosophy posts or, or things of, of that uh, nature that I tend to post, man. So uh, let's talk about the, the, I guess, the importance of being exposed to topics outside of data science. How has that helped you in your career? Well, I mean... I see everything kind of as like, uh, there's no real boundary. So like the stuff I learned from when I was in the military, the stuff I learned from when I was doing marketing stuff and then a consultant, and then the stuff I learned from the philosophy stuff, there's no real line in my head. There's just like, what can I use from here that I can apply to here? So good example, like I learned about data lakes recently and I said, oh, like when you were talking earlier about trying to understand information, you don't understand. As soon as I hear something from like your show here or some or somewhere else, I find a notion by notion and then I just dump it in there and then I just use like a lake. And then later on, I go back and understand it. But for me, it's most, for, for me, the philosophy is very important. It, it helps keeps you centered. I mean, it, it, in difficult situations or when you're trying to balance the ideas of the business, it's really helpful. It's like, okay, you're going to have to sacrifice one thing for the other. How do I do this in such a way that retains my credibility with, with one of the parties and keeps my credibility with the other parties and still gets the job done and delivers the value. So, I mean, philosophy is absolutely essential to me. It, it's the core of like trying to understand what you're doing. It's, I mean, otherwise <clears throat> you're just doing process. I mean, in my head, you're just doing process if you're just saying, okay, I'm just building out the models. Great, yeah, great. But the, the reason is, it's like, are you considering it in the larger business aspect? And the philosophy helps me consider that not just in terms of 
the data without delivering the business value, but also there's also a political element too as well. Yeah, man. I love that. Absolutely love that. Uh, thank you very much for that insight. Shout out to Rodney Beard, um, the beardless Rodney Beard in the house. Um, so Rodney, go ahead. Talk to us uh, like uh, about um, ensemble models. Uh, so this is just something I've been thinking about is um, when you use in ensemble models, when you use uh, majority rule type things to determine what, what prediction you're going to go with, um, there seems to be a connection to social choice theory. Um, and, and in social choice theory, you get breakdowns of some of these voting rules. And I don't think that's something that machine learning people have thought particularly deeply about. So that's that's where that question was coming from. Yeah, I remember actually you did bring this up in previous office hours uh, a few weeks ago, social choice theory. I didn't get a chance to, to dig into that, but I mean, talk to us about that at, at, a, at a high level. Um, so, um, so in political systems where you have voting, right, you get like there's this result that goes back to um, this uh, French aristocrat in the 18th century called the Marquis de Condorcet. Um, and, and he points out something called the voting paradox, which is um, you know, when you have more than three or, t- three or more alternatives, uh, that um, majority rule can fail, basically. Yeah. So... And then more than three three people. So if you've got, you know, yeah, more so more than more than three underlying models and 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 more than three alternatives, you should potentially begin to see problems with majority rule. But I've never seen any uh, work done looking looking at the question. Yeah. Um, it, it reminds me of something that I, I went to go grab this book, uh, Models of Cooperation is what they call it, and then Collective Action Problems in this book, uh, The Model Thinker by Scott oh, Page. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's an excellent book, um, which, it, by the way, you can find his conversation with me on my podcast as well. But yeah, he talks about um, uh, something similar to what you're, what you're discussing. Um, yeah, it's slightly d- different to a collective action problem, but... Um, yeah, it sort of goes in that direction, I guess. It's yeah. just something something I've noticed that the, there's these results in mathematics on on these voting paradoxes that the ensemble learning people just don't talk about. And and one would expect that when you're using majority r- rule that you're going to run into issues under certain circumstances. So so the question is, have people run into those? When, when doing that, and the the question is, has anyone seen any literature on this in in like published literature or, or even working papers? Let's yeah. uh, let's let's change that, Rodney. Let's have you publish something on this, man. I'd, I'd read it. <laughs> I'm too busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, this is uh, this is a great book, Model Thinker. It's just all like this is a book about just a ton of different models across different. Um, disciplines super super interesting um yeah uh, right now yeah uh uh who just yeah ensembles also in the book dave talked about that yeah it's such a good good book he talks about um all sorts of stuff like systems dynamic models game three models uh power law distributions long trails uh, linear models network models broadcast diffusion entropy all sorts of interesting stuff in this book highly highly recommend it um 
uh, yeah, game theory, game theory is super interesting. I'm fascinated by that stuff. Um, shout out to everybody else joining in. I don't see any questions on LinkedIn and the LinkedIn audience is waning. We're down to eight, nine people. So if you guys have questions, now is going to be the time to ask before we start slowing down and wrapping it up. Um, if anybody has questions right here in the Zoom room, please, by all means, go ahead and unmute yourself and, and, and go for it. Um, don't see questions here on LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitch. Um, all right. Well, hey, man, that was an awesome session. Thank you so much for, uh, for, for joining us, everyone. Um, somebody's asking uh, if I am updated on trends in game theory. Unfortunately, not. Um, I just have a general interest in it. Like if I come across game theory, like, I mean, I, I studied economics in, uh, in, in school, I really enjoyed it. And then game theory is just, I played a lot of poker. So that's when I got interested in the game theory. Uh, and Rodney says he works in game theory, which is awesome. Um, so, I mean, I, I love to learn more about it, man. Like uh, stuff is fascinating. I interviewed Kevin Zolman. Uh, we talked about game theory on my podcast. He's got a series on Big Think. Yes, on Big Think about uh, game theory. So definitely check out that episode I did with him. Um, really interesting stuff. Um, last question here coming in from Jaco Van Dalen on LinkedIn. New to the field of data science, is there any tutors available for newbies? Um, don't know of any tutors available for newbies. If you're interested, you can sign up for my program, Data Science Dream Job. Look that up. Go to dsdj.co forward slash free dash training. Um, you'll learn a lot of great information on there. That if you're interested in the program, by all means, come in and join us. We've changed thousands of lives. Um, I don't see any other questions from anyone else. Anybody else got questions here? No, no questions. Oh, well, let me, let me guys tell you about this book that I'm reading this week. <laughs> it's kind of meta but I'm reading a book called How to Read a Book, uh, which is super, super interesting. Um, my friend Joe Reese told me about this book. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool because he'll tell you how to read just not only a book, but then he goes like, you know, how to read a practical book, how to read poetry, how to read history, how to read science and mathematics. And it's, uh, I, I've been putting in some of the uh, suggestions they talk about um, in, in my current reading and I'm, uh, already starting to become like, I guess, better at reading. This, this book aims to teach you how to read, not for the sake of reading, but teach you how to read for the sake of understanding. Um, so really, really good book. Um, you can find a, a PDF version of this online. This book is like almost 100 years old, I think, right? From like the 1930s or something like that. Um, so there's a free version online. You can definitely find that. But I recommend this one. Joe, thank you so much for um, giving me the recommendation on this. Um, yes, Elke, uh, go for it. Question. Yeah, so it, it might not be very technical, but um, I noticed uh, for myself that I struggle with it's maybe kind of a luxury kind of problem, but I'm interested in too many topics and I don't always know like how to handle that or how to select which ones to go in or when to move on and when to dive deeper in a topic or like if I decide to look into something, how to keep track of all the other things that I'm putting in the backlog, so to speak. Um, so if anybody has any tips on that, because in my case, currently it's just a gigantic Excel sheet with a list of things I still want to read, which is way larger than I will ever get to. So 
Yeah, I suffer from the same problem. It's like just interested in so many different things. How do I figure out what it is that I want to pursue? And it's just whatever it is that, that I mean, so there's there's definitely stuff that you read or you're doing because it pertains to some work that you're doing. But then there's also just as being a smart person, intelligent person, you just have curiosities and different things, right? I'll just dig into one as I fancy it, right? Like, and just explore it and think about it and try to find connections with other topics, right? So that's one thing he talks about in this book is called syntoptic reading. And it's trying to find connections between things that you're reading um, so that you develop a better understanding. Um, but man, just like if, if it's this stuff for your own curiosity, I'd say just follow it wherever it leads to. Like there's no need to be attached to some completeness of learning it, right? Like for example, like I don't know why, but recently I've been really into like, you know, Sean Carroll's work talking about many worlds and 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 uh, parallel universes and shit. I just like, I don't know, like it just seemed fascinating to me. And I started, you know, thinking about it. And I was like, oh man, this is cool stuff. It's interesting stuff. I'll probably drop it after a week and then, you know, move on to something else. Like for some reason, I was really into information theory a couple of weeks ago. And I was just watching this course on great courses about information theory. I was like, oh, this is fascinating stuff. Um, so I just, I just go wherever the interest takes me. I don't really care about organizing it or or things like that i know that's not the answer you're looking for um yeah, but if, if anybody else has tips uh it's like follow your guts a bit just yeah yeah like i like i like um alan watts he has this this saying philosopher alan watts do things that are delightful to you you thereby become delightful to others right so just do do, do what you like man and look at yeah. look into what you like and don't be attached to any uh, outcome from studying that particular thing and just enjoy the, the act of learning something new and trying to connect it with other things. Um, right. Speaking on that tip of Sean Carroll, uh, the podcast interview he did with Lex Friedman was really good because he started talking about artificial intelligence and quantum theory and things like that. It was just fascinating stuff. Um, I mean, and for me, it's like with philosophy, like I'm all over the place with philosophy. Like I'll be studying metaphysics, and then ethics, and then going back to uh, other types of things in between. Like I recently just got really into Taoism, like, you know, after being into Stoicism for, for so long, started getting into Taoism is just fascinating stuff. Um, but yeah, Austin, what, 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 do you, what do you do when you're uh, pursuing many, many topics? Good question. Um, I think kind of, I, I kind of just would echo what you're saying. I, I think like it's about developing trust in your intuitions on like this metal level i think um and yeah because I, I think i think that i think for me that the sort of um the insecurity is born out of like a mistrust of myself um and, and i think i've learned how to to trust my own mind that it's going to you know do that associative work and, and once you once you kind of start doing that associative work you like anything else you practice it right like you you learn a bunch of different things you practice you um, you develop that associative tendency and then you can start trusting those connections that you're making. You can start trusting the way you pick something up and put it down and you don't feel like someone else's ideas in a book are so much better than yours that you have to finish the whole thing in order to take something from it. I, I think it's like a mistrust in, it, in an insecurity um, that is like super relatable and common. So it's not like a, a negative. It's just like something that I think we all have to work through in different ways. But I think it's that sort of it's that sort of self-trust that, that it goes a long way for me. That sounds 
that sounds like a good point because sometimes I need feel like I need to finish something because I've started it and <laughs> might not always be the best choice. Yeah, like that's just again that attachment to the outcome, the attachment to this idea that I need to complete something that's just for I mean, obviously if you're if you're working on something and it's for work, complete your work <laughs> stuff. But if you're just doing stuff on your on the side, that's just to to gain interest. Like for example, like I'm like I don't finish all the books that I read. Like sometimes I'll just get the main point without having to go through the thing in its entirety. I'm never just attached to okay, I have to read to the last page. Um Let's let's. I'd love to hear from either Rodney or or Dave on this topic. Uh, so, uh, by all means, if you guys want want to to jump in, let me know. Dave, I see you uh, put something in the chat. Jump in between books. Sorry, Dave and I have been having a side conversation, so we're probably both distracted. Uh, um, could you just bring us up to speed on where you were at? No, no, it's just that uh, uh, Elkie's talking about just how do you manage all these competing interests that you have intellectually? How do you prioritize what to, to go focus on next? Um, well, case in point, distraction. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Manage the distraction, which is hard, man. It's hard. It, it's taken me a very long time to figure out how to do that for myself. Um it does not look like there's any other questions in the chat or here in the uh, Zoom room. Guys, we're here every Sunday, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. The link to register is going to be right here on LinkedIn, but I'll shout it out to you. It is bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Comet dash M-L dash O-H. Shout out to Comet M-L for being uh, so generous with 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 this initiative and and making it possible for us to have this space together. I'm looking forward to having you guys here. Um, you know, more of you guys here and more of you guys joining us on LinkedIn. Uh, we had like 30 people at one point. That's huge, man. Like that, that's awesome to see. Um, but yeah, it doesn't look like any other questions. You guys do join us. Uh, would love to have all you guys here. Um, take care guys. Have a good rest of the afternoon, evening, morning, wherever it is, wherever you are, take care. Remember you've got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big? Cheers everyone. <laughs>